3: and welcome to the cnbc special we are live tonight taking stock i am brian jim is back next week and tonight we're looking back at a year to forget and looking ahead at the big year to come we are honing in on you because you are almost 75 percent of the entire american economy and there is a lot of questions out there spending yeah it's been strong the credit card debt is soaring at the same time interest rates are on the rise Powell's been in a fight against inflation. We'll talk about it all and hear what you think and speak with Consumer King Tillman Fortita about what he sees in the year ahead. Also, we will unveil our exclusive look at the best-performing cities for the stock market this year as well as the single worst. And, yeah, there may be some surprises in there. All right, welcome, everybody. Good to see you. This is going to wrap it up for the year live on CNBC, but we got one hour to go. And let's finalize it with the markets. No surprise here. The markets today, what very fitting. They went out like they had been all year. Pretty lousy. The major averages fell across the board. Not a lot. One to two tenths. Still year to forget for most investors. Here's how we wrapped it up. The Dow into the year down just about 9%. The S&P over 19%. But the NASDAQ, an absolute just butt kicking. NASDAQ down 33%. Those, by the way, are the worst performances for the averages since 2008 and the beginning of the global financial crisis. And those declines, here's your number of the day, wiping out $10 trillion in investor value. And take a look at this data from CFRA and our own Bob Pisani. To put these moves in context, the next worst year was back in 2002 when the S&P 500 ended the year down 23%. All in all, one of the worst years ever for the stock market and the worst year ever for a combination of both stocks and bonds. Now, you can blame pretty much everything except oil and gas. Technology was a disaster. Facebook crashing nearly 70 percent as investors rejected the whole metaverse project, at least for now. And as we said, don't point the finger at energy. Oil and gas acting, sort of acting like the technology of old, up nearly 60 percent this year. could have predicted that or this chevron with its best annual return since 1980 and exxon mobil posting its best return in company history oil and gas was the place to be all right so let's get all that nasty red off the screen come on and maybe look ahead to some brighter days joining us now is dr lindsey the chief economist at stiefel and quincy crosby chief global strategist For LPL Financial, Lindsay, I can say I knew you when you were just like a regular person. Now you're a doctor. Congratulations, by the way, on that. Very cool. Um, We know the stock market is not the economy, but the stock market appears to be discounting some maybe bad things from the economy next year. What do you anticipate?
4: I I do think that the economy is going to face some sizable headwinds, even as we turn the calendar now into a new year. The consumer, particularly, under mounting pressure. Now, we did see some welcomed resilience in the fourth quarter, but against the backdrop of elevated inflation, persistent negative income growth, and a reluctance from many uh, on the sidelines to move back into the labor market in a more traditional factor, I I do think that we are going to see consumers slow markedly as we move into the first half of 2023. And so this is likely to result in a technical recession. Now, I do say that, but I want to add the caveat that it's likely to be a somewhat shallow and short-lived recession. But nevertheless, I do expect growth to turn back into negative territory as we look out to 2023.
3: Hoping to have some good news here. Quincy, I mean... uh... I I get. Listen, I I guess maybe I should call you Quincy M.D. That was a fantastic show. Like, I don't know when last time the markets returned this kind of stuff. Um, The market is discounting what we just talked about. I guess the question for our viewers and investors is, has the market already sold off enough to compensate for some kind of recession and or severe drop in corporate earnings?
5: I think you nailed it on the corporate earnings. Uh, You know, the market has, as we all have said, talking about a recession. We don't know what kind. We expect it to be mild with all the information we have now. But in terms of corporate earnings, the expectations are that you're going to see margin compression over the next couple of of earnings uh, reports, and that that is going to lead to a meltdown in the market, the kind that historically you need to push the vix up and then to leave us with compelling evaluations then at the same time what we do mm. believe is that the fed is the fed is transitioning toward the end right now the fed funds futures market even has 25 basis points 63% probability for february 1st and then again for the next meeting in, in March, and one cut
6: in 2023. But, but, but if, Quincy, let me, let me, let me jump up. in if I can.
3: Yeah. Let me Sorry, let me jump yeah. in if I can, because with the NASDAQ down, I had all those nasty, ugly numbers at the top of the show, which, by yeah. the way, I'm sorry, yeah. folks, don't shoot the messenger. You know, 33% yeah. drop of the NASDAQ, that's multiple compression. I understand the E is going to change, so the denominator changes the whole thing. But when do we reach peak bottom in market valuation then?
5: Well, you know, you have to go to the data. The historical data shows it's not going to be 17 times forward earnings. It usually is down to maybe 16 or even 15 times if there's a you know strong recession. But this is what history dictates. Supposing the Fed does the proverbial pivot and basically says, OK, we're going to pause. We're going to be patient. Remember, they said that January 4th, 2019, the market just took off dramatically but we I, we don't know that the fed is going to do that we expect them to keep going and therefore the market is waiting for the market to completely discount the margin compression the slower earnings mm-hmm.
4: and also consumer spending yeah. to slow down you we know, don't see it now
3: i see you nodding lindsay
4: Well, I actually would argue that the market is underestimating how high the Fed is going to need to raise rates to get inflation under control. And reinstate price stability, which the chairman has told us time and time again, is the bedrock of the economy. So right now, the market is looking for the first rate cut to come by the end of the the new year, by the end of 2023. The Fed may be raising rates not only to a higher level than the market anticipates, but may need to keep rates at that elevated level for much longer than the market anticipates. So that spells out further trouble, further downward pressure for risk assets. Quincy,
3: you agree on that? I mean, Powell's going to, of course, they've been wildly wrong about everything, the Fed. I'm yeah. sorry, a year ago, their their, their forward projections, yeah. aka the dot plots, were only yeah. 5% off. Yes. I mean, it, it's 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 un- exactly. Anyway, without getting into criticism of the Federal Reserve, yeah. do you think they're going to have to now no. show how tough they are?
5: No, I think, look, they're as data dependent as is the market, right? They went through the transitory phase and then basically, you know, uploaded the, the, uh, the rate hikes. They'll probably go to 25 basis points at least the second uh, rate hike in, uh, in 2023. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is the other thing they're focused on is wages. That's something that he has mentioned over and over again and in terms of price stability. That you cannot have a healthy economy, a healthy labor market without price stability. And those yeah. wage hikes actually moves in the wrong direction. And they are going to make sure that they move in the right direction, coming down and then having the equilibrium in the labor market that they want. Because it, guess what? Wages are an input cost and they're being passed along to the consumer. That's right.
3: That's right. And, and by the way, the old, I mean, listen, you guys yeah. are the experts. But I, I don't know any time where the only way to bring down labor costs with higher rates mm-hmm. is to get people fired. I mean, that, that's yes. ba- you're going to have to lay off millions of people because once you give somebody a raise, generally you're not going to say, you know what, Ms. Crosby, I got that wrong. I'm going to take it back. You just got to lay people off and then hire new people yeah. at a cheaper rate. All right. I was tweeting last night, and I, I, you know, Twitter limits polls to only four. So I put in the four things I thought, Lindsay, I said, what's the main reason? Pick one. Not, you know, it's a combination. I know the main reason you think costs surged this year. I had covid supply chains, government spending, Federal Reserve, which I understand is kind of related and labor costs. I didn't leave it. Somebody said what? All these people are like, why didn't you put in corporate greed? Corporate greed's always been there. Corporate corporations are greedy. That's why they exist. All right. Fifty two percent of our respondents said it was government spending was the main cause of inflation. Lindsay and Quincy, first you, Lindsay, do you agree or disagree?
4: I think the inflation equation came from both sides. On on the one hand, yes, I would agree that the international supply chain disruptions added to that supply-side nature of inflation. But to add insult to injury, we had this massive expansionary fiscal policy which ignited the demand side of inflation. And so going forward, while we are seeing improvements in supply chain disruptions, we continue to see expansionary fiscal policy which is pushing against the intention of monetary policy Making it again increasingly difficult for yeah. the Fed to rein in inflation going forward.
3: Yeah, I probably obviously I have a little follower bias here. People watch CNBC follow me on Twitter. It's not the average general public. Quincy, 52% say it's the government spending. That's the main reason for inflation. Yes or no?
5: Well, yes. Look at look at money supply. That's look it. at Milton M2. Freeman. That well, that's that happens to be it. And now what we're looking for is for M2 to start coming down more quickly because that will then, you know, drain the inflationary expansionary money supply. It is coming down, but it needs to come down more quickly. And it will.
3: That's it. A lot of post hoc fallacies are going to be coming out down the road. I I just want to throw that in there. Pretend like I spoke Latin. Quincy, Lindsay, have a happy new year. Thank you very much for staying for our special. The final live hour of the year, by the way. All right. So let's stay on this topic. Spending was strong this year. You know it. You don't need me to tell you. Malls are packed, airports are packed, restaurants are mostly packed, the good ones anyway. All good news, but as COVID-related savings and stimulus money now starts to run dry, what's going to happen ahead? Consider these scary stats. Household savings rate now sits at 2.4%. That's the lowest in 60 years. Nobody's saving anything. And credit card debt is up nearly 20%, depending on the card company. How does this play out across the space? Bring in Jerome Martis, director of consumer research at Refinitiv. I'm not. I want to be optimistic, Jerome, but when I see how nobody's saving any money, because why would they? Want to have fun? A lot of country got locked down for two years. What is it going to mean for you know consumer, retail, restaurants, whatever?
7: So um, the Refinitiv consumer confidence data tells us that Americans are feeling worse about their job security, their purchasing power, and future expectations going into 2023. And this is the reverse of what we saw this year in 2022. And so what kept the consumer engaged this year was the job market, the strength of the job market, and the fact that consumers felt upbeat about it. But now going into 2023, it's a different story. So this definitely underlines the importance of the job market and that unemployment number because if consumers start to see that unemployment number start to deteriorate, and their friends and family and inner circle start to worry about their job security, that's when they're going to put their hands in their pockets and hold back on spending.
3: Well, I'm looking at some of your your data, very nice data from Refinitiv, fourth quarter earnings growth rates. You've got personal products minus 49%, multi-line retail down 30%. Uh, What does that mean? What is a personal product? Just like skincare?
7: Yes. But however, what's interesting about the numbers that you're talking about is that 10% Out of the 11 consumer-related industries have turned negative, and only one of them is positive, and that's the hotel, restaurants, and leisure, which is telling us – it's, again, telling, underlining that that shift in consumer spending, that consumers have moved away from splurging and are going towards experiences. Not only do they want to go and eat out, but fine dining and casual dining – are outperforming quick service. So they want to go in the restaurant, have an experience, and pay the higher prices despite inflation. So that's where consumers mm. are spending their money. So more so than at the mall.
3: It's unbelievable. You, you show hotels, restaurants, and leisure. And by the way, we've got the consumer king, Tillman Fortita coming up in a few minutes. Up 260%. I mean, what this yeah, says to I- me is, having fun is in, buying <laughs> crap stuff <laughs> is out.
7: It's out. Absolutely. In fact, you know, consumers are going to the mall. They are spending, but they're not splurging at pre-pandemic levels. Revenue, holiday sales are expected to be up 4.4 percent. But because of higher costs and inflation, earnings are expected to be down 20.2 percent. So when Mm. they're going out, they're being pickier and more selective of what they're buying, despite the fact that retailers have become more promotional now in November and December, more promotional than all year long. year round and slightly above pre-pandemic yeah. levels. Refinitiv discovered with Stylesage.
3: You can find so me a three thinking- if you can find me a three year old pickup, you know, under fifty thousand dollars, we might transact. Otherwise prices are still too high for old cheap Sully. Jerome Martis, have, <laughs> have a happy new year. Really appreciate it. Amazing. Two hundred and sixty percent jump. Of course coming off a low base. We get it, but people aren't buying stuff. They're going and doing things. All right. We are just getting started on this CNBC special, Taking Stock.
8: Tonight, markets look aligned on how the Fed will kick off 2023. But how long will that harmony last? Plus, the fixed is in. How bonds got their groove back. And what's eating at the top city for business? We get the inside scoop with Tillman Fertita. That and more when we return on CNBC.
9: visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: Now, welcome back. We certainly all know the economic buzzwords of the year. Inflation, rate hikes, hard landing, soft landing many ways, this year was the year of the Fed. The market's moving on their every word. And it didn't it feel like sometimes it's just the Fed's world and we're just living in it? So what can we expect next year? Steve Leesman knows. Thanks, Brian. The one
1: thing you can be sure about is the Fed will be hiking and holding for some period of time next year while cutting its balance sheet deeply. But with the question of how much rates rise and how long they stay there, a matter of strong debate, The only certainty is the Fed's going to be a source of ongoing volatility in the stock and bond markets. The futures market has the Fed priced to hit its peak rate in June at just under 5%, but then gradually easing back over the year towards 460. In both February and March, there's upwards of a 60% probability of 25 basis point hikes. That'll bring the funds rate to 488. But disagreements over the outlook start in earnest in May. The market trades with about a 7% chance of a 25 basis point cut in May, a 40% chance of no change at 488, and a 41% chance of a 25 basis point hike, and a 10% chance of a 50 basis point hike. That pricing reflects a broad set of views among forecasters for 2023 and debates over growth and bringing down inflation. Goldman Sachs writes, we're skeptical the FOMC will cut the funds rate until the economy is threatening to enter recession, and we do not expect this to happen next year. But MUFG says, by mid to late summer, fear of an economic downturn triggers a shift in monetary policy. Our view goes from hawkish to dovish pretty quickly. What's less an issue of debate is the Fed's plans to reduce its balance sheet. It reduced assets by $400 billion this year and it will bring it down by $1.1 trillion next year to around $7.4 trillion. That process will have more of an impact as the year goes by. So it may be a reason for the Fed to go slower and stop hiking sooner to give the balance sheet effect a chance to take hold. Back to you, Brian.
3: All right, Steve Leesman, thank you very much. All right, let's dive a little deeper into all this and sort of parse what all that means. we former Federal Reserve Governor and Columbia Professor Frederick Mishkin. Uh, Fred, it's good to have you back on again. Happy New Year, by the way. We're almost there. That, that you know, we focus so much on rates, and I get it, and we'll talk about that, but man, that bringing down this balance sheet is, it, is that the great variable that there is no history book for? Well, there is
6: no history book. I think people they pay more attention to this uh, uh, than um, than is really uh, appropriate. Uh, that the balance sheet's really important when you get hit by uh, by a crisis. so Extremely important during the episode of the global financial crisis, and again extremely important uh, during the COVID pandemic uh, uh, in those early early phases of it. Uh, at this point, really uh, reducing the balance sheet is more of a technical issue. Uh, I think that it has some impact, but uh, but maybe it's overemphasized. The real story is about rates,
2: mm-hmm. and
6: uh, and that's I think the important thing that the that the Fed has to focus on. And, uh, you know, and I actually uh, think that, that uh, the markets are, are, are sort of putting pressure on the Fed to, to not raise rates as fast. I think that's a mistake. I think the Fed really needs to do its business much better for it to do it quickly and earlier uh, and then actually uh, do not have to raise rates as high as it otherwise would. So this is actually something that's very important. Uh, and we have some lessons here uh, from the past, particularly during the Volcker di- disinflation, when the Fed raised rates. And then actually it backed off, and that was a huge mistake. So, uh, so I tend to be uh, one in the hawk camp right now. Although, actually, okay. two or three years ago I was actually in the dove camp. So,
3: things things change. Well, they do change, and the Fed has changed. And last year, the dot I hate saying dot plots. I'm sorry. The economic projections showed like 0.75 percent is what they expected. Now we're at five percent. One year later, I, I mean that's. That's a pretty big. That's a pretty big whiff. Take that, what it will. So, do you worry that the Fed is going to make the same mistake on the other side? So, you know, the problem is you're never going to get exactly right. I, I have to say,
6: by the way, what was remarkable about this episode, the Fed really uh, did blow it. They they really had a, a bad framework with uh, serious uh, uh, problems that led them to make some mistakes. Uh, you know, we could go into that, and if you if you'd like, but what was really remarkable to me and very positive is that they actually took the super tanker, which usually the Fed's very slow to turn it around, and they really turned it around 180 degrees very, very rapidly. That was really key. Uh, my view is actually they needed to do that very fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, inflation expectations uh, were starting to, 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 to move up. Uh, uh, this is, again, a lesson from the Volcker episode when they raised rates and the inflation expectations did not come down, and then they backed off. They got in trouble as a result of that. Uh, they have now actually got inflation expectations uh, con- contained, which is very good news. But actually, it's still important that mm-hmm. they actually take balance the risk. Now, I actually take the view that if the Fed uh, 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 caves into pressure, if it decides to uh, uh, stop raising rates because of the pressure on it, yep. that the, the result will be that uh, that uh, they won't get the credibility they need to get. And that could mean rates could be even higher. So okay. is there a risk of a recession right now? Absolutely. I think, in fact, a recession is very likely from what the Fed's doing. Did you
3: hear my comment earlier, Fred? I mean, and quickly, is the only way to bring down wages to have a bunch of people lose their jobs? I, how, how, how do higher rates bring down pay levels? OK, so,
6: so your objective is never to basically screw workers. That's just not what you want to do. However, the reality is, if you, if you particularly get behind the curve. Uh, that you have to basically show that you're going to be serious about keeping inflation under control. And if it's required to slow down the economy a lot, that's something you have to do. So mm-hmm. the bad news is if you get it perfectly, then, in fact, you might be able to have costless disinflations. But I got to tell you, we've never, ever seen that happen before. <laughs> so, so yeah. it could, in fact, uh, uh, economic theory says it could happen. But, you know, theory doesn't yep. always nope. avoid with reality. The reality is that, uh, yeah. that inflation down tends to be costly. It's part of the price you pay, mm-hmm. but it's much better in the long run to do your business quickly rather than do what the Fed uh, uh, sometimes has done, which they backed off and then they have to raise okay. rates to
3: economically high levels. Well, you're an economics professor, but uh, call a history professor at Columbia because we're writing economic history as we speak Happy, right now. Ted, Michigan. Absolutely. Happy New Year. Happy All New right. Year to you too. All right. Could next year be the year to bet on bonds? boring old bonds could they become like fun again and the countdown is on as we get set to unveil the top three cities in america for the stock market it's our power city indexes we're breaking them back out who won and who lost huge stick around
2: the spirit of performance defines acura and now it's electric introducing the all-electric ZDX, acura's most powerful suv yet It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
0: Take your business further with a smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.
3: All right, welcome back. Let's stay focused on trying to find you some opportunity next year, right? Because as bad as it was for bonds this year... Many fund managers are expecting a kind of resurgence next year. And if we get one, it could create new opportunities in some ETFs and other markets and indexes and bonds and whatever. For more, let's talk about it all. i bring bringing Gilbert Garcia. He is managing partner Garcia, Hamilton and Associates, CNBC contributor. I kind of joked the other day, Gilbert, that 5% return, meaning 5% is the new 25%. Should we feel good about that? I think we should. But I'll tell you what, you know, bonds may be down, but they're
10: not out. And when you look at the old 60-40 split, there is no doubt the 60-40 split this year is probably the worst in almost 50 years. But I think when you look at those time periods when it's done poorly, it typically was followed by some very strong performance. And that's what we see next year.
3: Yeah and you know we were you you probably heard my comments professor Mishkin I was like I'm only half joking we're writing economic history as we go on this was the single worst year ever for both stocks and bonds usually one goes down the other goes up that's why every financial advisor in the world is like you got to diversify your portfolio it yep. didn't work this year why not well, sure. It, it shouldn't be a surprise to us that something
10: strange would happen. And the reason is the government has been the buyer of last resort that artificially brought levels way too low. Keep in mind, the government owns 30 percent of the treasuries, the tips market, which, of course, inflation protected treasuries and the mortgage backed securities market. And that's what's distorted everything and distorted the risk allocation and the marketplace. And so if you go back to the key fundamentals money supply has grown at a historic pace, fiscal stimulus rivaled World War II, it was inevitable that inflation was going to be higher- and longer than transitory, and both of those things are now gone.
3: And, you know, and it's funny you say that because you saw the results of our poll, and people push back, and it's fine, good debate. And they say, well, it's COVID, we needed to do it. I don't think anybody disagreed with the initial reaction to COVID from March to September of 2020. It was terrifying. We're under our desks on the East Coast. I know you guys in Texas kind of just did what you wanted. But a year later... Everyone kind of knew the story, half the country was back to wide open and they're still stimulating. Well, that's the whole point. I think they
10: handled it brilliantly during COVID, but what happened was they should have stopped buying securities, stopped the quantitative easing by the fourth quarter. By the fourth quarter, we already saw inflation starting to run hot and the 5-6% and accelerating. They should have already stopped buying and they should have been already raising rates much sooner. In calendar year 22. And I think they're making the same mistake, Brian, because they keep looking backwards. They want to wait till employment goes higher, uh, unemployment. But by the time that happens, we're already in pain. If you look, there's no more fiscal stimulus and money supply is not only not growing, it's negative. And that's yeah. always been a precursor to a recession.
3: Well, and I, I want to be positive, but, and you know, all that spending added a few trillion to, to our national debt, we wiped out ten trillion from the equity markets alone, and we'll probably see a couple trillion wiped out of real estate. It's going to be like a twenty or thirty trillion dollar uh, cost. It's it's mind boggling. But I want to be optimistic. Gilbert, have a happy new year. I can't even count a trillion. It's just too many, too many <laughs> too commas. Many,
8: but,
10: but thank you for all the talk about Houston. But don't forget, you left out two things. We have the best Mexican food and
3: the best baseball team. I'll give you the latter because you won the World Series. We could fight over the former. I'm from Southern California. We, we, we might. You, you're Tex-Mex. That's not Mexican food. That's Tex-Mex. Gilbert Garcia will fight about it later. Have a great New Year. Thank you very much. All right, don't go anywhere. Much more ahead in the CNBC special, Taking Stock.
8: Coming up, urban achievers. Find out which American cities are rocking for stocks. Plus, is climate change making your bubbly go flat? Don't pop that cork until you hear this. And a look at the M&A action expected to greet the street in the new year when we return on CNBC.
3: All right, we need some friendlier music for this segment. All right, it's time now for the big reveal. In this lousy year for the stock market, which American cities did the best and which one did the worst? In the stock market this year. How do we know this? Well, we know this through our Power City indexes. All right, what is that? Well, if they're new to you and we haven't popped them up for a while, here's a recap. We built stock indexes with the biggest 12 market cap companies across 37 different cities and metro areas Chicago, New York, LA, whatever, but also places like Silicon Valley, which is distinct from San Francisco. They're totally different areas. Now, what we do is we equal weight all stocks in the index, and then it's very easy. We just follow them and average them up for the year. And two quick notes before anybody out there gets all jumpy about this. Number one, some companies may be headquartered like outside a city, right? Like maybe in Downers Grove, but we still put them in Chicago. And two, these are made for fun and a little friendly competition. They are not actual investable indexes or ETFs, although, hey, maybe we'll market them someday. So let's go. And this year was a very bizarre year for the overall markets and for the power city indexes as well. Only two cities had a positive year and one just barely. All right, we're going to get to the best three cities for the stock market this year. But before we do that, we're going to kind of start at the very bottom, the Razzie of the year, if you will, the worst city for the stock market. City we talked a lot about yesterday on Power Lunch, that is San Francisco. It's 12 city PCI power city index dropped an average of 50 4%, lost more than half its value. Every stock in the index fell, led by massive drops in Twilio, Okta, DoorDash, and others. By the way, this is only San Francisco City, Silicon Valley, a separate power city index. And that actually came in the second worst. Look at the top performers. They were down a few percent. All right, enough bad news. Let's get to the good news now and count down the top three cities for the stock market this year. Number three is the capital of car racing, Indianapolis. Now, the Power City Index was down, had a loss of over 6%, but even with that decline, it was still the third best performer of the year. Eli Lilly had a big year, followed by Calumet Specialty Products and Allison Transmissions go to St. Elmo Steakhouse and party tonight. The second best city for the stock market? My mom's hometown, Gateway to the West, St. Louis, St. Louis. Double-digit gains by Reinsurance Group of America, Amdocs. Post holdings. They help mitigate losses in stocks like Proficient and Core in Maine. Overall, St. Louis was up 0.2%, but it was up 0.2%, but a gain nonetheless. Congrats, St. Louis. And now, time for the big winner. You, you figured this out or you saw it earlier on Power Lunch. Houston is the top city in America for the stock market this year, an average gain of just over 12%. It's an energy story, huge gains across Occidental. Exxon Schlumberger and more there was gains of only 12 percent because there were losses Crown Castle Lionel Basil they declined but overall Houston by far the top city in America for the stock market in 2022 next year we'll do it again we'll start fresh in two days and hopefully go to that city which brings us by the way to your next guest why don't we just call him Mr. Houston He's also the consumer, king. more than 700 restaurants, hotels, the Golden Nugget, casino chain, a couple of aquariums. Oh, and by the way, the Houston Rockets. It is Houston's own Tillman Fertita, chairman and CEO of Landry's. Tillman, good to have you on. Uh, Merry Christmas and, and Happy New Year, my friend. Thanks for, thanks for joining us on a Friday night late. Appreciate it. Do you notice spending trends? The stock market in Houston is up. Like, Do you feel that in your businesses?
11: Definitely you do Brian. Money is money and when people are making (laughs) money however they're making it whether it's PPP funds or whether their stock is up they feel very comfortable to go out and spend money and it's kinda funny what you were saying because right before I came down here we were looking at our worst regions uh, of the year same store sales wise and I have over a dozen restaurants in the San Francisco area and they were the least performing market in the united states really i don't think that's just because of the stocks but because of the whole shutdown of the city people in the tech industry deciding we're just not going to go back to work like everybody else and and therefore you see the consumer businesses are really being hurt there like mine
3: well that you know we always say the stock market is not the economy it is not stocks do their own thing the economy does its own thing, but it is interesting that you're kind of seeing those same trends. And it's sad, too, by the way, because people aren't going to go to work if, if, they, if they don't feel safe. And, you know, do you sense, you know, with Houston, obviously you're all over the state, you're in Galveston, you got the boardwalks, you got all these fun things. Do you smell or sense any consumer slowdown from where you sit? Yeah, not in Houston, we don't. But remember, energy
11: companies are hiring things are good in, in all of Texas right now and, and you know the South is good, East Coast is coming back, the Pacific Northwest and California uh, are hurting a little bit because, and a lot of it is because consumer businesses are still driven by people wanting to go to work every day and when you don't have somebody going to business lunches, going out as much, people get in a habit of staying home, working out, watching Netflix, or any of the others, and it just makes it more difficult.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, we knew that oil and gas was likely to have a good year, maybe not to this level, and, but you've been through boom and bust. And by the way, you know, we're buddies, but, but I don't mean this because we're friends. Your book, Shut Up and Listen, You know, you talk about, and everybody should read it, it's an easy, good read, because you talk about these cycles. And man, there is not an industry, Tillman, that is more up and down than oil and gas, right? So you've lived through the good times, you've lived through the bad times. Give us some advice to the aspiring entrepreneur out there that, you know, who may be facing some harder times ahead.
11: I'm gonna tell you, you know, Brian, we don't know what to expect this year. And and when you look at everything that's going on out there, when we're trying to model for this coming year, we've never ever had a time where we really don't know what's gonna happen. I think they're going to continue to raise rates, number one, because you, don't, you still have this huge labor shortage. And until you fix the labor issue, the, the Fed is not going to be happy. They want to see unemployment rise, 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 where they're going to have to raise the rates a lot more than another 50 or 75 basis points to hurt people from continuing to hire people because we're so far behind. So many millions of people came out of the workforce. You know, I laugh when the Biden administration and the president stands up there and says, I've created more jobs than any president in history. He also came in a time when there were fewer jobs at any time in history, because we laid off everybody and so many people quit the workforce. Yeah. So w- how flabbergasting is that? Well, but the, until but you we know, listen, this I think, labor problem in America, we've got problems. I
3: think both political parties would have said that, right? Because they just it sounds good. It's marketing. There are fewer employed people today in America than there were before the pandemic. That's easily accessible data. But these are politicians. They're, they're going to say stuff like that. Do you sense the job market getting a little bit better, or is it a little easier to find people, or not yet?
11: Not yet, but remember, it's, we're early, and, and the consumer, the government is still throwing money at people, believe it or not, in lots of different ways, especially people that make under certain amounts of money. All right, is it gonna change? Yes. Because as you keep raising rates, companies cannot do their, their cap funds capital to go out and spend on new projects. They're not going to borrow money for new projects. It's going to take a while, but I don't see, if we go into any kind of a slow recession, I don't see it happening until the third or fourth quarter because it just takes time. Look, we've been at it now for 12 months raising rates. And look what small effect we've had on the economy whatsoever. Everybody's still doing well, except the tech companies who had their own problems. that weren't necessarily a consumer issue to begin with.
3: You still have, like, two-hour waits at Mastro's in Houston? You never slowed down. We still have
11: waits. High end is only off a tiny bit. But when you think about the billions and billions and nearly trillion dollars we threw at it, through the PPP and all the government funding you would think we would be off more than that now and we just aren't Brian it, people are still out spending money
3: well you just worry about we gave you the stats household spending a 60-year low credit card debt it's up 20 percent Tillman I mean at some point you wonder if the piper is going to be paid I want to be optimistic tonight Houston's the best city in the stock market you, you know your, your businesses are doing great and but there are some scary things out there. But, but give us, let's end on a positive thing, right? Give us a reason to be optimistic for next year. Not just as a billionaire, I, I but think, like for the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't,
11: I don't think it's going to get that bad. I think at the, the point that, that unemployment starts ticking up a little bit, I think that the the Fed is going to pause and then start lowering rates in early 24. So I don't, I don't think we're going into any deep recession. I think we're going to have a little blip in the economy for probably three to four months, which happens every few years anyway. And then I think that we're going to keep having the roaring 20s, which we've all talked about and which we've had in 21 and 22. And I think the roaring 20s are going to keep going for a few more years here. So that's a positive note, Brian, before this new year.
3: And uh, thank you for that, because you've got reason to smile. When you heard about the sale price of the Suns, were you just like literally skipping through the, the, well, you don't skip, but you know, sort of (laughs) smiling your way through the lobby of the post oak (laughs) because your, your rockets probably added a billion in value.
11: I've lost you. So, oh, happy hear- new year. Okay. Everything's great. Thank you, CNBC, and we'll see you guys next year.
3: Probably worked out. Tillman, if you can still me, we're talking about the Phoenix Suns. He owns the Rockets. The Sun sale, sending all the NBA teams up. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to Tillman Fertitta and his entire team and family. All right, we are not done yet. Coming up, could breaking out the bubbly end up breaking the bank? Why climate may be impacting the pricier champagne? Stick around. All right. Welcome back. Let's talk champagne. It's that time of year after all, and maybe stock up now for years to come, because as Diana Olick reports, the climate may ultimately smack the price of your favorite bubbly.
0: It's not just for New Year's anymore. Champagne sales have been soaring all year after a record $6 billion 2021. Exports to the US last year jumped 64% from the year before, and this year may be even stronger. But a new report shows Champagne is increasingly at risk due to climate change. France's Champagne wine region's exposure to physical risk caused by drought will nearly triple by the 2050s, that according to S&P Global Sustainable One. It will then more than double again by the 2090s. Now, we already saw record drought and heat last summer caused the Champagne grape harvest to move up a month to August. The same thing happened last year, but it was thought to be an anomaly. The grapes have just been maturing faster due to heat and drought. While drought is the primary challenge, Champagne's risk of extreme heat and fire will double from now to the 2050s, according to the report. Last summer, France's famous wine regions saw so-called unprecedented wildfires. LVMH is the name with the greatest exposure with brands like Moet and Chandon, Krug and Veuve Clicquot. No surprise, champagne prices are rising along with the bubbles. Brian.
3: Champagne wishes and caviar dreams have gotten a lot more expensive. All right, thanks, Diana. So we have certainly talked a lot about inflation this hour. But remember, inflation is just a fancy word for rising costs. And while, yes, parts of inflation are coming down a bit, it is still expensive out there for many folks, for many things. So we wanted to know, what was the worst price hike for you, either right now or this year? The options, and again, Twitter gives you four choices. Healthcare and medication, energy and electricity, food and groceries, or housing. I was a little surprised. It wasn't even close. More than 60% of you responded that food and groceries are hitting them the most hard. It's basically 100 bucks a bag at the grocery store these days, no matter what you're buying. Energy and electricity was second. Healthcare actually coming in the lowest. Health and, and food inflation, by the way, up 10.6% over last year, which is brutal. But look at the far right. We are seeing a little bit of a mitigation, and hopefully those prices will come down a bit next year. I would say, let's wait and see how the cookie crumbles. But the cookie is too expensive to let it crumble. All right, on deck. Will M&A be a moneymaker next year? Are the deal market shaping up? All right, welcome back. And let's wrap up this special hour and talk deals and mergers and acquisitions. Bring in Mitch Berlin, vice chair of strategy and transactions, At EY, Mitch, uh, I mean, listen, private equity, uh, lawyers, bankers, they've been printing money for years. What's going to happen next year?
12: Well, this year should end at about 1500 deals, 15,000 deals closed in the U.S., Brian. So that puts us back on par with the pre-pandemic rates. You know, 2021, which is what everyone's comparing us to, was a record-breaking year, 20,000 deals closed in the U.S. alone. So, Compared to 2021, 2022 was slower. I think 2023 will be very similar. What we'll see is the opposite of 2022, where it will be a slow start to the year. But hopefully by summer, it will pick up again and uh, we'll get, you know, we'll we'll end up hopefully at another 15,000 deals closed at our pre-pandemic levels.
3: Yeah, but it's so tied to rates, isn't it, Mitch? I mean, they're kind of, they matter so much. Cost of money.
12: Absolutely. I mean, this is why we saw a big slowdown in the deals in the second half of the year, particularly with private equity, who took their foot off the gas. I do think, though, that the the corporates, particularly corporates like large pharma, who are sitting on a lot of capital, are able to still take advantage of the M&A markets. And we'll continue to see that. The companies, the corporates in particular, with strong balance sheets, will be able to take advantage of some of the, the uh, lower valuations that will be coming up, hopefully, at the beginning of the year.
3: All right. Finish this sentence to finish out the show. The biggest risk to the deal in M&A market next year is?
12: Continuing rising interest rates.
3: And, and you think that's going to be, I mean, we just, we've been hearing all the show about how the Fed's likely to keep raising. How high do they have to go to just shut it down?
12: Well, either, inter, either the valuations have to go down or the interest rates have to go down. But if they both continue to, if the valuations stay flat and the interest rates continue to increase, that we're going to see a you know continued slow M and A market. So something has to drop, whether it's the interest rates or the valuations for deals to continue to happen.
3: Could they go down at the same time?
12: They could. They could. I think that you know the there are uh, there's a lot of divestiture activity going on right now, Brian. We're seeing more divestitures now than we have in the last three years, and you know companies need to shed their non performing okay. and non core assets. It's not only a great way to raise, yeah. to raise capital. But it also puts them. There, a lot of them are trying to move into yeah. back, back to a pure Mitch. play industry, so it, it serves multiple purposes at once. Great
3: stuff. We got to leave it there. Thank you very much, Mitch. I right, appreciate Brian. it, Mitch Berlin, E. Y. All right. Thanks for watching, everybody. I just realized I kicked off live programming at 5 a.m. on January 3rd, and I'm very honored to wrap it up for you here at 7 p.m. tonight, Sull up to sundown. I'm going to steal that one. Believe me, it's an honor every day. Have a happy, healthy, and prosperous new year. We'll see you in 23.